The code sets up high standards of performance for motion picture producers. It states the considerations which good taste and community value make necessary in this universal form of entertainment. So that was a 1930 recording of Will Hayes, former U.S. Postmaster General and one of the men behind the institution of the Motion Picture Production Code. The Motion Picture Production Code, or the Hayes Code, was in effect from the early 1930s to the 1960s, and it required films to promote good morals and, quote, a correct standard of living, which meant no premarital sex, also no marital sex, just really no sex and no gays ever anywhere. And because of this, filmmakers and actors relied on a set of commonly accepted narrative, visual, and vocal cues to signal that a character was queer. This is called queer coding. I'm Allie. I'm a graduate student at Georgetown studying English and film. And on this podcast, The Queer Code, we look into the history of queer coded or subtextually queer characters in classic and contemporary American film. Each episode focuses on two films from one genre. So today we are going to be talking about the genre of the high school teen rom-com and we are going to talk specifically about the movies Mean Girls and Love, Simon. And okay, so some people refer to this genre as the high school rom-com or the teen rom-com and other like academics and scholars refer to it as girl teen film. Um, So I'm probably going to refer to it as both girl teen film high school rom-com interchangeably so if I talk about that that's what I'm talking about they mean the same thing at different points throughout this episode we are also going to hear from different queer grad students at Georgetown about what they think queer teen film can look like and maybe what it should look like so our co-host for this episode is LA-based actor model and singer Austin Carr Hello. <laughs> this is so creepy. <laughs> Hi, I'm Austin. I've also kissed two boys on camera, <gasps> so I feel qualified to engage in this conversation about gay. So the basic format for most girl teen film, it's it's basically a morality tale where a girl <laughs> learns a lesson. <laughs> And it's a very public lesson, and sometimes it involves her, like, getting popular and then learning that, like, being mean is not cool, like in Mean Girls or in Clueless. Sometimes she stays super unpopular, but she learns, like, somehow to be a better person, like Cat and 10 Things I Hate About You. I also feel like it's the how public it is is always kind of like, uh, also like a rite of passage because they're also right. coming-of-age stories normally. Yeah. When you're coming of age, everything feels so big and so visible. So most girl-teen film, which I realize is a problematic term, but we're going to use it because that's what it's talked about as in books and on the internet. But it's really important that this lesson is always super, super public. Like she's hurting her peers in some way. And then she makes a series of individual apologies to each person. And then at the end, she'll make a really public apology. And it's partly in the vein of like the rom-com big gesture with like the big fancy proposal. Um, But in this case, it's normally like a big fancy apology. So most girl teen film follows this formula pretty closely. So I paired Mean Girls with Love, Simon because both of these films are following that format and I thought it could be interesting to look at how 
one of the like quintessential staples of this genre, which is Mean Girls, obviously, is incorporating queer and queer-coded characters. Thank you for clarifying that it was not Love, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I don't want anyone to be confused that we think that Love, Simon is a quintessential anything. <laughs> My God. <laughs> but yeah, so Mean Girls how it incorporates queer and queer-coded characters into the story formula. And then we're going to look at Love, Simon, which also follows that formula, but does some super different things with its queer characters. Oh, God. You dirty little liar. I'm sorry, I can explain. Explain how you forgot to invite us to your party? Janice, I cannot stop this car. I have a curfew. You know I couldn't invite you. I had to pretend to be plastic. Buddy, you're not pretending anymore. You're plastic. Cold, shiny, hard plastic. Curfew, 1 a.m. and it's now 1.10. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness? You know what? You're the one who made me like this so you could use me for your eighth grade revenge. God, see, at least me and Regina George know we're mean. You try to act like you're so innocent. Like, oh, I used to live in Africa with all the little birdies and the little monkeys. You know what? It's not my fault you're, like, in love with me or something. What? Oh, no, she did not. See, that is the thing with you plastics. You think that everybody is in love with you when actually everybody hates you. Like Aaron Samuels, for example, he broke up with Regina, and guess what? He still doesn't want you. So why are you still messing with Regina, Katie? I'll tell you why. Because you are a mean girl. You're a bitch. Here, you can have this. I want a prize. And I want my pink shirt back! I want my pink shirt back! So that was a clip from one of the like big climactic fight scenes in Mean Girls. Mean Girls was released in 2004. It was directed by Mark Waters with a screenplay by Tina Fey. Tina Fey actually based her screenplay on a book by Rosalind Wiseman called Queen Bees and Wannabes. It was like a sociology book for parents on how to help their daughters navigate quote unquote girl world in high school. So in the film version of Mean Girls, 16-year-old Katie Heron has just moved back to the U.S. from Africa, where she was being homeschooled. Katie, played by Lindsay Lohan, is going to public high school for the first time, and on her first day, she has a ton of trouble making friends and picking up on social cues and language and just kind of everything in general. So she's adopted by two different friend groups. The first group that adopts her is Damien and Janice. They're self-designated, quote, art freaks and they are queer and queer-coded characters. So Damien is openly gay. He's played by Daniel Franzese, who was actually not out at the time of filming. So Janice is played by Lizzie Kaplan. She's more queer-coded, although in the movie, they like end the movie by having her dance with a boy, <laughs> the big school dance, even though she's wearing like this gorgeous purple suit. <laughs> and it just feels really like weird and not right at all. In the Broadway show based on Mean Girls that's also written by Tina Fey that came out in 2018, Janice is kind of openly queer. So anyway, Janice, she's queer-coded, she dresses super goth. Also, her name is Janice Ian, which is the name of a famous lesbian folk singer from the 70s. 
fun fact, Janice Ian was the singer, was one of the first musical guests for Saturday Night Live, so it was also like a Tina Fey Saturday Night Live shout out thing. Also, Janice itself is just kind of a really, really lesbian name. So the other group that adopts Katie is the Plastics. It's a group of three like conventionally attractive, wealthy white girls. Katie teams up with Janice and Damien to get revenge on the head plastic, who is the always and forever iconic Regina George, played by Rachel McAdams. Katie is mad at Regina for stealing the boy that Katie has a crush on. Janice wants revenge on Regina because Regina spread a bunch of rumors about Janice being a lesbian years ago. Again, with the like, the queer coding here. Janice, Janice is gay, guys. She's just, she's just really gay. So while she's ruining Regina's life, Katie becomes like genuinely mean and she hurts her actual friends, Janice and Damien. And eventually when Katie realizes that people really are getting very hurt by her actions, she realizes that being mean is bad actually. And then she apologizes to everyone and she makes up with Janice and Damien and yeah, everyone kind of finds their friend group and is happy in the end. I'm just like you. For the most part, my life is totally normal. My dad was the annoyingly handsome quarterback who married the hot valedictorian. And no, they didn't peak in high school. I have a sister I actually like, not that I'd ever tell her that. And last year, in 200 episodes of Chopped Ago, she decided she wanted to be a chef. And then there's my friends. Two of them I've known since pretty much the beginning of time. Or at least kindergarten. And one of them I just met a few months ago, but it feels like I've known her forever. We do everything friends do. We drink way too much iced coffee, watch bad 90s movies, and hang out at Waffle House, dreaming of college and gorging on carbs. So, like I said, I'm just like you. I have a totally, perfectly normal life. Except I have one huge ass secret. That was the opening monologue from Love, Simon. Love, Simon was released in 2018. It was directed by Greg Berlanti, who's the director behind a lot of CW shows like Riverdale and basically the entire Arrowverse. The screenplay was written by Isaac Aptaker and Elizabeth Berger and adapted from Becky Albertalli's book, Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda. The movie follows Simon Spear, played by heterosexual actor Nick Robinson. Simon is a high school senior who has a very white, wealthy, accepting, liberal family in some kind of generic suburb in the U.S. So the plot of this movie is unnecessarily just incredibly complicated. I'm going to describe it in two parts because uh, that was easier. So plot A, Simon is gay, but he has not told anyone. A boy at Simon's school posts anonymously on the internet forum saying that he's gay and he signs his post blue. Simon sees this and emails blue explaining that he is also gay and not out. Simon also uses a fake name, so neither one of them know who the other one is. Simon and Blue fall in love over email, and whenever Simon's at school or at any kind of school party, he's constantly looking for Blue based on the things that he knows about Blue from Blue's emails. Okay, so plot B. A kid at Simon's school, I think his name is Martin, 
He sees Simon's emails to Blue. He blackmails Simon into setting him up with one of Simon's friends. Simon has three friends, one boy and two girls, and they're like all kind of in love with each other. Like one girl is in love with Simon and the other boy and girl are into each other, I think. So Simon's friend doesn't like Martin and as revenge, kind of, Martin outs Simon to the entire school. Blue stops talking to Simon because he's afraid of being outed. Simon's friends find out that Simon was being blackmailed and that he tried to set them up with various people and with Martin and they're like inexplicably just so, so angry and Simon must beg for their forgiveness for, I guess, being gay and scared to be outed to everyone he knows. And then Simon comes out to his parents. They say they still love him and Simon reunites with his friends and he posts a message on the school internet forum asking Blue to meet him at the Ferris wheel, the local carnival fair thing, essentially outing Blue. Um, Blue meets Simon at the Ferris wheel. They kiss on top of the Ferris wheel very awkwardly while a crowd of heterosexuals cheers them on from the ground. And this is framed as like, so romantic. And that's the end of the movie. All right, you're good to go. All right, um, my name is Antonia. I'm a former high school English teacher and I currently teach um, cultural theory to high school students. Um, when I think about queer teen film, I think a lot about um, the films that I had access to when I was in high school. Um, that first of all were all um, torrented um, because I was afraid to get them in more legitimate ways. Um, and we're also not necessarily targeted for teen audiences. Um, I was very lucky to find But I'm a Cheerleader, which is still one of my favorite movies to this day. Um, but there was not a lot of positive representation of teens in um, LGBTQ relationships. Um, Degrassi comes to mind and Glee comes to mind and both of those despite Kurt getting a very liberating story on Glee Santana really gets thrown under the freaking bus um, so that was like not super enlightening um, when I grew up and became an adult I started working with um, a youth LGBTQ youth support group um, for high school and middle school students and I think about the stories that they have access to, and I think that hopefully they're better. But I want to see more just like happy LGBTQ teens. I think if you're making a movie for teenagers who are coming into themselves and just developing their identity, like I want it to be happy. I don't want the message when they're in that vulnerable, developing identity stage to be your identity is tragic. So Mean Girls and Love, Simon, they came out, I think, 14 years apart from each other, 2004 to 2018. So we've moved from Mean Girls with, like, gay sidekick slash best friend characters to Love, Simon with a gay lead character. But I think it's important to note that Love, Simon, like, when they were pitching Love, Simon, it wasn't like someone was like, OMG, what if we made a movie about, I don't know, the adventures of Janice and Damien. Like, Simon in Love, Simon is is nothing like Janice or Damien. And I think a big part of that is that... So Tina Fey has talked about how she... how she wrote Mean Girls 
kind of about and for people who felt like they were outsiders, especially people who felt like they were outsiders in high school. Damien and Janice are very much outsider characters. They're, I think they're classified as like, quote, weird art freaks. And Yeah, they're like the art freaks. Yeah. And they kind of do their own thing. They're not really part of any of the cliques in high school that they point out to Katie. And they just kind of are weird together. And it's amazing. And they're really happy with that. Like, they don't want to be popular, really. They just kind of want to do their own thing. So in Love, Simon, I was just kind of expecting a movie about being queer in high school to in some way deal with feeling like you don't fit in or, I don't know, I mean, not <laughs> not being the most popular person in school because a lot of the times if you're gay in high school, you're not like the Regina George of the school. But in Love, Simon, Simon kind of is, if not the Regina George, he's like in the mean girl's clique. I would say I don't think he's interesting enough to be the Regina George, right. but he's definitely like <laughs> in the in crowd. Well, yeah, because that's that's a big part that of the movie that loves someone like goes out of their way to make clear is that Simon is not on the outs. He has everything going for him. Like he's very much in the in group. He has everything going for him except for his deep dark secret which is first of all a very annoying <laughs> framing of <laughs> sexuality and also in what 2018 this was their framing of being gay like that he was just like everything's going great for me except for my big dirty secret and it's like this is 2018 like are we still thinking of being <laughs> like where your only problem is that you're gay is that how we're still framing this that's crazy yeah and that's something that bothers me in Love, Simon, because, like, in order for Simon to be cool and in the in-crowd, like, there have to be characters, or at least, like, shots of random high schoolers who are not named, who are categorized by the movie as, like, not cool, not in the in-crowd. Like, there needs to be people that Simon is distinguished from. It kind of seems like the opposite of what I thought the movie's message would be, which is not feeling shame about who you are and loving and accepting yourself like okay so there's this one scene where simon he's like looking for his pen pal at school right so he's walking around school looking for the person who has <sighs> all the like likes and dislikes that his pen pal does because that's all they communicate like not actual feelings just like oh i like these things so he like sees so his pen pal likes john snow so he'll like see someone walking in a Jon Snow t-shirt and think, oh, I hope it's not them because they're weird or they're fat or they're some kind of, like, outsider. Like, nerdy. Yeah. Or they have acne. Yeah. yeah. Like... And he... There's this sequence where he's walking by all these, like, fat loser nerds thinking to himself, like, oh, well, obvious... And I don't even think it is, I hope it's not one of them. I think the line in the movie is, well, it's definitely not him or something like that. And it's so mean it's horrible and also like when i think about again the characters of damien and janice and mean girls like damien is fat and daniel oh god i'm so bad at his last name is it franzese yeah sure yeah <laughs> daniel franzese he's talked publicly about how like he his role as damien became an icon not just for gay teenagers but also for fat and gay teenagers because like there just aren't representations of that on screen like there still aren't and he's talked a lot about, like, 
fat acceptance and body positivity and and the importance of representation for that so then to like see love simon like shaming people for it's it's so gross and it doesn't feel like the queer outsider teen film that i wanted to see I think it's also important to, like, yeah, that's the sequence where he's, like, making fun of and looking down at all of the, like, not fit, losery, schlubby looking, like, kind of overweight gay people. Well, they're not gay, but he's potentially gay. They could possibly be all potentially, potentially gay. gay people. <laughs> the potentially gay, like, overweight, losery people. Adding in the context that the gay community, like, cis gay community, has such horrible crippling body issues basically every single gay person i know either has some kind of like eating disorder or like crippling body dysmorphia i just thought it was a very tone deaf thing to leave in the movie when that is such a big part of like the gay experience is hating your body mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and so for our main character who we're supposed to be rooting for the entire movie to do something like that petty and superficial and shitty and we're just supposed to, like, because the movie treats him when he's doing that as if, like, he's totally in the right for looking down at these people. That's not something he has to atone for. Right. Like, that's not one of the mistakes he's made along the way. Right. The movie doesn't the frame it like that. People. No, it's just like, oh, yeah, obviously we all hope that it's not one of these people, right? Hi, my name is Ian Jane. I am a graduate student at Georgetown, where I'm also a teaching assistant and a tutor in the writing center. So the way that I envision queer teen comedies and coming-of-age films is that I want these films to be realistic and that I want them to represent the kinds of varied lives and queer experiences that people actually have in real life. Um, to me, that's sort of the, the the first aim of representation, is being able to see something that looks like yourself or your story on the screen. So in, in a lot of ways, that actually can be freeing because there is no one single, you know, queer coming-of-age narrative. And so to me, it's a situation of, like, the more the merrier. Like, we need to be flooding the the, the cinema screens with all of these kinds of narratives. Okay, so you want films that lots of different people can relate to, yeah. lots of different kinds, right? What would one that you particularly, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what would your ideal yeah. queer teen comedy look like? Like, scripted. Go, pitch Ooh, it to me. <laughs> a scripted queer teen comedy. Well, I spent um, thir- 13 years of my life in the same private Christian school from kindergarten to 12th grade. Um, and so I would love a scripted teen comedy that deals in a sort of like irreverent, funny, but also probably tragic at certain points, um, narrative of like, what do you do when you're in a really confined environment for a long period of time that on the one hand furnishes you with a lot of really close and intense friendships, but on the other hand presents a destabilizing sense of self that could be shattered at any moment. I think that could be a really funny movie just based on my anecdotal experience. You know, like I had a teacher who said that maybe God put dinosaur bones into the earth to give us something to do. So you can imagine like, <laughs> like you know, the attitudes about gay people, right? So I, th- I, think, I think it's important to, my favorite, my favorite comedy and my favorite, I think, art looks for, for things that can be funny and sad at the same time. 
on the subject of who I wanted Love, Simon to be about, there is a character who I thought was much more interesting than Simon, and that's the only other out gay kid at his school. Um, his name is Ethan, and he's played by an actor who is openly queer. Who I have matched with several times on Bumble. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His name is Clark Moore, and he... I see him all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Ethan, this character, he is, like, much more femme than Simon. I think Clark Moore told the director, like, I want to be, like, the femmest gay high schooler ever. I don't think that they portray him as, as femme as he could possibly be, but he is noticeably more femme than Simon. And he is not, like, a passing straight gay man. So after after Simon and Ethan are, like, bullied in a really... The bullying incident... Cartoonish way. Yeah, it's very cartoonish and (laughs) (laughs) feels kind of inaccurate to how high schoolers bully each other. Um, They have this conversation outside the principal's office where, like, Simon tells Ethan, like wow, this all was so much easier for you. I'm I'm so jealous of your coming out experience. You, you queer person of color. <laughs> yeah, you non-passing <laughs> queer person of color who was the first person to be openly gay at this school. And it's such a bizarre scene because then Ethan, he's like super nice about it and he responds like, no, it's hard for me too. And I'm like, it's weird to me that Ethan has to prove that it was hard for him to I just assumed it was harder for him and yeah and he just seems like a much more interesting character for this movie to be about and I think the fact that he's there but the movie's not about him and really is not super interested in him either as a character that really bothered me oh no not at all (laughs) yeah he gets pretty limited screen time (laughs) it's it's so interesting because you can tell that everybody who was like, everybody who made Love, Simon and who had a hand in making Love, Simon is coming from the straightest, most traditional Hollywood production background. Yeah. Because just the way that they see the story of Love, Simon and the character of Simon is so obvious in the movie. Like, it's very, very obvious to me watching the movie that this movie would never get made with the same story, but with a character like Ethan as the main right. character. Yeah. Like, the movie itself relegates him to a supporting character. Yeah. Which is so messed up because the whole point of the movie is about, like, having a gay lead. But the only way they could possibly get that done is if they straight washed him as much as possible. Right. And, like, it's not even a discuss. It's not even a discussion that the person he ends up with could be a flamboyant person. Like, it's assumed from the very beginning that the person that he ends up with is going to be another, like, very straight-passing mask boy. Yeah. Who just happens to be gay. Who's that's their big secret, too. Their big, dark secret. And it's such a... Their big, dark secret. (laughs) Also, I think it's so funny that Simon tells a gay person of color that, like, that coming out is most difficult for people who have everything else going for them. Oh, because yeah. that's the one thing that they don't have going for them. <laughs> it's like, I don't really think that's how, like, trauma works. Where it's like, oh, cancer is the worst for pretty people. <laughs> like, for if you pretty had as many people. privileges to lose as I did, you would understand. <laughs> yeah. Like, I have a choice of whether or not I want to come out, which makes me have to think about it. So oh you're God. really lucky that you got forced out it and people just started treating <laughs> you differently. 
god. Our hero. <laughs> can we talk about the can we talk while we're on the thread of shaming flamboyant gay people? Can we talk about the Not scene that where gay. the movie where the movie literally m- rolls their eyes at the idea of having a gay character who's actually flamboyant be the lead because that's some meta shit oh, right yeah. there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's some meta stuff right there. <laughs> Let's do that. Would you like to describe the this scene is, in question? I will say, to be fair, because we probably just sound like very negative Nancy's, like saying everything we hate about this movie. But to be fair, this scene in the movie is the most commonly like vilified scene on Twitter. Yeah, and, it's not just us. The gay circle. All the gays it's hate it. It's not just us. <laughs> But essentially, there's a dream sequence in Love, Simon, where he's imagining, he's like, what if I just don't come out in high school, and I just come out when I go to college, and then I live my big gay life? And it's like, it goes into a little (laughs) thought bubble, (laughs) and we see his gay fantasy, and it's basically, which is, very. first of all, his gay fantasy is very confusing to me, because it's also not very gay, but it ends with him being like, well, not that gay, but in this dream sequence... People are wearing a bunch of, like, there's girls and guys dancing around him and wearing different rainbow t-shirts and jeans. And he's, like, going around college, like, la, 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 I'm so gay. <laughs> Not dancing well. No, his dancing is really bad. And there's one part where there's, like, dancing? a big dance number, and he's in the middle of it. And he l- breaks the fourth wall and looks directly forward, rolls his eyes, and goes, <laughs> well, I wouldn't be that gay. And then the movie just moves on. <laughs> And it's crazy because this movie is about gay people. (laughs) It's supposed to be about, like, accepting yourself and loving yourself and being who you are. But at the same time, it's like, well, but not if you're, like, super femme. Also, not just accepting yourself, (laughs) but accepting that you're gay. (laughs) And then the movie makes fun of the concept of, like, gayness. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, the movie's literally being like, oh, no, you should tamp down on the gay stuff <laughs> like if don't they, wear too many rainbows anything other than that is ridiculous <laughs> yeah my name is sam weiss i am a full-time student at georgetown university master's program in english Da-da-da. Um, a mother to two cats maybe it's mabel lion is their instagram handle okay so um what i want queer teen films to look like is I think like big thing that comes to mind is stop casting straight actors (laughs) Um, because that happens so frequently and then people will be like oh my god they did such an amazing job acting gay but there's uh, there's gay actors just cast them not a problem Um, and also I'd love to see more representation of like non-cis gender identities and I'd love to see more like queer people of color both and as actors and also like roles being written for them also as directors and like narrative storytellers and writers um because so much of like mainstream queer media that's being produced is like by straight rich white people also I think like I really love a good gay teen comedy Debs comes to mind, (laughs) but like comedies that are not like racist or classist, like you can just like have 
a diverse set of writers with people from different marginalized communities, and then your script will not be problematic. <laughs> and you can do a gay comedy, which we all love, in a way that's not like bad to other marginalized communities. So I think that's something that would be great. And then I think something that I sort of like imagine is queer films that aren't just about queer people being queer, but about like, like I wrote down some like gay superheroes, <laughs> gay sci-fi, gay space opera films. Like let's have gay inspirational teacher narratives and like gay kids movies with like little bunnies that are sort of like non-binary and fall in love. Um, that would be so cute. <laughs> yeah, or like a gay farmer narrative where it's just like a bunch of gay farmers hanging out together on their nice farm and then like they're like it's really hard to be a farmer in America right now which it is um <laughs> so sorry I'm from rural America so farming is always like kind of in the back of my mind but I think that's something I would really love to see and when I imagine how I want to both intake queer narratives and also produce them I like to think about like having characters that are gay and not just that are gay and that's it. So I like teen movies and TV shows, like, a lot. And what I like about teen-oriented media, like, in general, is that no matter how, like, ridiculous or disgusting or over-the-top a teen movie is, there's always at least, like, one moment of actual genuine identification where the movie just like really gets at some sort of feeling about what it's like to be in high school. And I just, that makes me feel a lot of emotions. And sometimes it's like positive and nostalgic. And sometimes it's just that I feel sad for the teenager that I was and the very real confusion and pain and discomfort that comes with that. And it's just really cool to see those feelings reflected back at me. Uh, in film scenes and it makes it makes me feel just very seen so in Mean Girls and Love, Simon there are like like each movie has a kind of bullying of the gays scene or two and I definitely feel that identification moment during the Janice bullying scene in Mean Girls I, I just feel like it gets so much right about how it feels to be like a lesbian in high school and yeah and to have complicated female friendships and the bullying scene in Love, Simon I just I don't I don't really feel anything because I it's just it's not it's not a very well done well done scene so we're gonna listen to the like main Regina bullying Janice scene. Um, so this happens right after Regina sees Katie talking to Janice and Katie has to like make up a lie really quick as to why she was talking to Janice. So she tells Regina that Janice was talking to her about about crack. Um, and so this is the scene. Hey, why were you talking to Janice Ian? I don't know, I mean, she's so weird. She just, you know, came up to me and started talking to me about crack. <laughs> she's so pathetic. Let me tell you something about Janice Ian. We were best friends in middle school. I know, right? It's so embarrassing. I don't even, whatever. 
So then eighth grade, I started going out with my first boyfriend, Kyle, who was totally gorgeous, but then he moved to Indiana. And Janice was like weirdly jealous of him. Like if I would blow her off to hang out with Kyle, she'd be like, why didn't you call me back? And I'd be like, why are you so obsessed with me? So then for my birthday party, which was an all girls pool party, I was like, Janice, I can't invite you because I think you're a lesbian. I mean, I couldn't have a lesbian at my party. There are gonna be girls there in their bathing suits. I mean, right, she was a lesbian. So then her mom called my mom and started yelling at her. It was so retarded. And then she dropped out of school because no one would talk to her. When she came back in the fall for high school, all of her hair was cut off and she was totally weird. And now I guess she's on crack. And this scene just makes me feel so many things because to have that, like, where you have this, you're kind of interested in your friend and you're embarrassed about it and uncomfortable about it. And then to have her be like, I know that you're like, queer. I see, I your see it and it's disgusting. And it's disgusting. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's such like a traumatic moment. And I think that Mean Girls does a really good job of like showing how much that hurt Janice. And like, that's like the one part in the movie where Janice is actually vulnerable. So yeah, like I think that it just does such a good job of showing how heartbreaking that is and how much of an impact that can have on like a like a queer teen who's trying to come to terms with their sexuality. But in Love Simon, the bullying is like what is it? It's like two kids who we've never seen before who I think are just like yeah. the bully kids and they like they like simulate gay it's, sex it's on like a table a or something. It's basically it's like bullying in an eighties children's movie or like, like it's, an snl parody no, of an 80s movie yeah <laughs> the bullies have no connection to the character there's no relationship between the bullies and the characters there's no like time period that's passed between the bullies and the characters where, where they've gotten to like know each other like there's literally no relationship it's just them being like but sex is gross like, and then it's like cut to the principal's office <laughs> <laughs> like maybe if one of the bullies was like simon's older brother or something you know what i mean like I would get why that would be like, oh, my older brother, you know, like, or if or the bullies were or, popular kids, yeah, like because, but they're literally like losers that nobody cares about and don't interact with any of the popular kids. It's not like the popular kids pulling the strings who are like, dude, you shouldn't be gay. That's gross. Yeah, because that actually could like have a stake in the plot and how Simon feels about himself. Right. It's just these two random weirdos who are like running around the school harassing people. Or like maybe if Simon thought that one of the popular kids was the guy he was. Oh my god! Yeah, if this was a if this was a true story, if he the bully totally would have been the um the pen pal the secret pen or pal or even sure. if yeah. Simon thought the bully was the secret pen pal and like asked him out or said something and the bully was like, oh like you know I'm I'm cool with gay people but like for sure no you know what I mean like said something that showed like oh he's secretly super homophobic even though he thinks he's not you know like that would have been an yeah. interesting plot point a realistic plot point like. But no, the movie mattered. doesn't do that. <laughs> yeah, like it's just it's not. Or even if Simon that. had, if Simon had thought that someone was his pen pal and confided in them, and then they used that and turned it against them and made fun of him. Yeah, like that would be a really sad moment too. That's like actually bullying. Right. And that's also a thing that does happen all the time, where you come out to someone secretively because you have a crush on them and then they use that against you to make fun of you or belittle you or whatever. Right. Like, yeah, that's totally a thing that happens in real or, life. That would be an actual gay experience to put yeah. in your gay film. Yeah. But instead it's just like this cartoonish bullying where they're like, 
you're a gay, you're a gay, la la Actually, la. And though. And then they end up going to the principal's office. And it's like, this isn't, first of all, this isn't how bullying works in the 21st century. Second of all, <laughs> this isn't how bullying works, like, tr- how people treat gay minorities anymore. Like, bullying is a lot more subtle and mean-spirited, but it's not, like, you're gay and that's the joke (laughs) can i tell you how i would fix love simon script doctor love simon for me i'm gonna script doctor love simon (laughs) and this is a great idea and if any executives are listening and want to rework because you know they are listening, i will play all the characters (laughs) (laughs) including her the stupid friends um so in my version of love simon we see love simon as the character he's putting on for school where he's like, I'm the it boy. I have everything going for me except for my dirty little secret, blah, 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 whatever. Wait, you keep we'll, that? We'll keep, we'll keep the dirty little gonna secret? We're going to keep that framing because I'm going to twist okay. it, sweetie, in <laughs> just a second. Um, so, yeah, he's like, he's just like, he's working so hard to not be catch attention and just to like play the straight hetero part. And secretly he's gay and having all these crush on boys. And how we see that is that, Instead of just having one dream sequence, half of the story is told through dream sequences. Ooh, like in Chicago. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So like whenever he sees a boy, we go into a gay dream sequence where he's basically a different character. And the whole movie is these two characters fighting each other of the same person. And it's his straight side and his gay side. And they're grappling for more and more screen time and control until finally the gay side goes into the straight world at the end. <gasps> and he's representing his full self. Isn't that great? Oh, yeah, that would be so much fun. I'm copywriting this now, and I'm going to rewrite it and call it Simon Love. <laughs> that would be cool. Love Damien. What? And then it will cast, I said love Damien, and then we'll cast a young Daniel Francesi. We'll go back in time and cast young Daniel Francesi. So this is the end of the teen rom-com episode, and when I was doing research for this episode, there were a lot of really cool ideas and critical takes on teen films, rom-coms, and teen rom-coms that did not make it into this episode because this is a really broad topic. So if you're interested, some of the sources I used for this episode are Romantic Comedy, Boy Meets Girl Meets Genre by Tamar Jeffers McDonald. This book just gives a general overview of like Hollywood rom-com conventions and what their desired impact is on the viewer. Um, Also, the book Teen Film, A Critical Introduction by Catherine Driscoll gives a really great summary of the evolution of movies made about and for teens from like the 1950s onward. And it looks at the development of teenagers as a consumer base, which is super interesting. Also, if you're a Mean Girls fan, which, like, if you're a human being, then chances are you probably are also a Mean Girls fan, um, there's this really great 2014 IndieWire article by Daniel Franzese called, Actor Daniel Franzese writes a touching coming out letter to his iconic Mean Girls character Damien. And that's, that's what the article slash letter is. It's um, Daniel Franzese, who, like I mentioned earlier, was not out when they filmed Mean Girls and wasn't out for a little while after. This is his, like, official coming out letter 10 years after Mean Girls came out, and he writes it to the character Damien because he had, like, really complicated feelings about playing a gay character, and he felt like it outed him, and yeah, that's what this letter is about, and it's a really sweet letter, and it made me feel like a lot of emotion things... <laughs> You should read it and feel emotion things too. On the next episode, we are talking about 
like hipster romantic dramedies um <laughs> because I love a hipster romantic dramedy and we are going to be talking about a very contested <laughs> convention of the hipster romantic dramedy which is the manic pixie dream girl <laughs> 